This episode is sponsored by the Learn Jazz Standards Inner Circle. If your goal is to level up your jazz playing this year and feel confident improvising over jazz standards, the Inner Circle has everything you need and more. With monthly jazz standard studies, a library of powerful courses, and a vibrant community of like-minded musicians, you're guaranteed to improve your playing every single month. Podcast listeners can get 50% off their first month when you go to ljsinnercircle.com. That's ljsinnercircle.com or find the link in the show notes. Now, on to today's episode. So tell me if you can relate to any of this. You want to go play at a public jam session, but you're kind of just afraid that you're not going to sound good and you're afraid of what the other jazz musicians are going to think of you and you're playing. Or... You go up to perform and all the eyes staring back at you make you tremble, make you clam up. And in general, it's just an incredibly uncomfortable experience that doesn't allow you to actually have fun performing and playing jazz. Well, in today's episode, I'm going to share with you my personal experience with performance anxiety, whether it be for a crowd of people or in front of your peers, and how I've dealt with it. And hopefully you can learn a little bit from my story as well. Let's dive into it. Welcome to the LJS Podcast, where you get weekly jazz tips, interviews, stories, and advice for becoming a better jazz musician. And now your host, he's a jazz musician, author, and entrepreneur, Brent Bartstra. Hey, what's up, everybody? Brent here from Learn Jazz Standards, where musicians just like you learn how to play jazz all while shortening the learning curve, no matter what instrument you play. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. Really appreciate you being here today. Like I mentioned in the intro, performance anxiety, whether it be because of your fear of what you sound like in front of other musicians or just the fear of performing in front of an audience, it can really hold you back. It can really kind of defeat a lot of the purpose of why you are learning to play music and play jazz specifically, which is to have fun, to enjoy it, because it's something that you do as a hobby, right? Most of us are doing it for the sake of enjoyment. And this can be a real barrier. So I want to share with you a little bit about my experience with this, some things that I've gone through with it, and I'll be a little bit vulnerable because I think it's helpful for you to see how a professional jazz musician like me is just like you as well, like goes through those feelings of self-doubt, goes through those worries about what other musicians might think about him as well as fearing an audience, right? It's a real thing. And I'll give you some things that have certainly helped me throughout the years and have really helped me come a long way in regards to this issue of performance anxiety. But before I do that, I just want to really emphasize that if we can't start moving past these feelings of fear, these feelings of self-doubt that are basically crippling us when it comes to one of the main reasons that we work on playing music, which is to play it with other people. And that's certainly the case for jazz because that's really the essence of jazz, playing with other people, right? Improvising and all that stuff. Then we're going to have a really hard time, not only again, having fun while we're playing music, but also improving Because ultimately, a lot of times these things that I'm talking about actually stop us from improving our jazz playing 
And certainly, if anything, they slow us down significantly. So spending some time talking about this and spending some time thinking about this for yourself and how to overcome this aspect of being a musician is well worth your time as far as becoming better, as far as having more fun and all that stuff. So let's go to my story. So it's important to understand I started playing my guitar when I was 10 years old, and it started out as obviously like most kids and most um, first experiences with an instrument as a very innocent, no ego attached to the instrument, no ego attached to how I sound, right? Um, And in fact, in many ways, I had a little bit of natural talent on the instrument. So as I started learning and diving deeper into my guitar, Um, I would study with uh, some private teachers and those private teachers always were very affirmative to me that I had some natural ability and, you know, I was pretty good. At least they seemed to insinuate of their pool of students that they were dealing with that I had some, some kind of edge that maybe they didn't have. So that was kind of instilled in me when I was a, a, a young kid early on in my journey to um, not really necessarily playing jazz, but playing music in general. And as we know, you know, the things that you learn young when your brain is like just developing a lot, right? These are things that really stick with you. And in my case, what I felt like ended up happening is when I started getting into middle school and high school where I'm, you know, playing music with my peers in the jazz bands, in just the regular bands and all that stuff. And then actually in just bands, right, that we would form outside of school and all that stuff. I started noticing that, hey, I'm actually not the best player in the room, right? There's actually some other musicians that are quite talented and really have an edge over me. And of course, you know, when you're a young kid, we tend to exaggerate or put a lot of importance on the things that we can do better than other people or things that we can't do as well as other people. So coming from a place where I felt like I was ahead of everyone starting my instrument, now suddenly being exposed and being around other kids that are actually doing better than I was, or at least I was perceiving that way, that started to bruise my ego and create this sense of competitiveness within music that I think ultimately was very crippling for me. So I spent some time telling you this up front because I think all of us have a little bit of this story in us. And the reason I can ex- I can speak to this or I believe that these things are true that have led to that led to sort of a baseline of this problem of performance anxiety and um these issues associated with that is because I have been through therapy before, not necessarily strictly for music and musical performance, but life in general. And these things definitely come up and you start learning a little bit about yourself and you start digging a little bit deeper into why you behave or think and feel the way you do. And so for me, this is sort of me um, both self-analyzing a little bit, but also just some things I've uncovered with the guidance of a professional therapist who understands psychotherapy. Okay, so I say all of that to, first of all, understand that I am not a psychologist or a therapist. 
I'm just speaking from personal experience and it could be something for you to think about as well. So when you're starting with this baseline of I'm good at this, but then all of a sudden I realize I'm not as good as this identity I've made into my head, I think that can create a bit of a conundrum, right? And this competitive spirit that sort of started to arise out of that. And I really started putting a lot of myself identity pretty early on, certainly when I was in high school, into the fact that I was a musician, right? I did play sports and all those kinds of things, but for me, music was the thing. And certainly, again, this is more psychoanalysis here, certainly my role in my personal family was that I was the musician. Uh, A lot of my siblings uh, are very smart intellectual. For example, my younger brother, he got a full ride scholarship to MIT, right? Which is one of the best schools, right? That you can go to. Um, my, my father had his PhD, chemical engineer. Um, my brothers and sisters just all d- did very well in school, high test scores. And for me, school, always a struggle. Like I still did well. I didn't do bad because I worked really hard and my parents, they wanted me to do well. So they really tried to help me, but it wasn't natural for me. Like it was the rest of my family, but what was natural for me was music. It really was music. Like music was the thing I just have. I've always had a creative mind. It connected with me. And so again, I'm saying all this because when you build a self identity around being a musician, around being good at music, suddenly it places this importance on it that doesn't have that innocence that I referred to of when you first pick up your instrument and start playing it, right? Now that's gone. And what you now have is an identity around it that possibly could open itself up to, to harming you, right? To harming the way you think about your role in playing music. And the issue with music, of course, is if you bring a competitive nature to it or a comparison game to it, you will always be sorely disappointed because you will always find another musician out there who is a lot better than you, who can play at a much higher level than you. Okay. So that's kind of like my baseline. Now, when did I really start feeling a lot of performance anxiety, at least in my memory, when did this kind of start happening? Well, I always kind of did feel that performance anxiety of playing in front of an audience like that kind of always existed. So for example, I, in high school, I had a progressive rock band, like a prog rock band. And so we, we, and it was a very, we really attempted to play very virtuosic music, like kind of like dream theater, if anyone's familiar with that band. But, um, so we were playing like music that was a lot more complicated than our other peers that were playing had bands and stuff like that. But that being said, like I remember going to and playing at Battle of the Bands or playing at venues and feeling that performance anxiety. Like absolutely I felt that that was there, and I don't think that was an unnatural anxiety. But I certainly it certainly didn't feel natural to me like where I noticed some other people or at least I perceived other people in my peer group who didn't mind performing as much. And I think part of that goes to a bit of my personality as well. Uh, It's a strange thing to say as a professional musician, but what I've learned about myself over the years is I actually don't love being the center of attention. And that also might sound strange to someone who does podcasting and YouTube and has a jazz membership, does all these things for a living, right? 
Um, but ultimately when it comes down to it, I don't love being the center of attention, right? I don't like all eyes on me necessarily, right? It's easier for me to sit behind this microphone and talk to nobody except for you in your ears later than to stand up in a stage and give this exact same talk, right? So that's obviously when I started noticing that I did have performance anxiety, but I wouldn't necessarily, at least the way I remember it, call it crippling. Like I'm able to perform, able to play, perhaps not at the best level because there's still that factor that's holding me back. But it wasn't horrible. But I think um, what really, when it really started to, be, to become a real problem is when I started playing jazz, okay? And so this is where a lot of you are probably going to agree with me and go, okay, good, it's not just me, is jazz for me opened up things to a whole other level of self-criticism, of peer comparison and worrying about how I sound in front of the audience. And why is that? Okay. So there's a few things that jazz has that not all other kinds of music have. Some of them certainly do, like classical music, I would call is, is one, but jazz really does have. And so A, jazz does require a little bit more of a virtuosic nature. Doesn't mean you are a virtuoso to play jazz, not at all, but it just does require a little bit more knowledge about chords and chord changes. And there's just a little bit more of an element of intellectual um, necessity in order to play the music or at least to play it well, right? Because absolutely you can play jazz um, in very simple ways and very simple terms, but when you want to start playing at a higher level, which I did, right? I, I decided eventually my senior year of high school, I wanted to become a professional jazz musician, which I'm sure does not relate to almost everybody listening to this podcast. But again, that adds even more of a level of pressure and competitiveness on top of it, right? So jazz, A, it has that virtuosic element there. But the second thing it's got is the improvisation. And improvisation really is a vulnerable thing to do, right? Um, improvisation is kind of like, here's what I'm doing. I haven't planned out any of this. I'm just playing music. And so improvisation, really, it's obvious the different levels of how good of an improviser you are, right? There's like the very basic level where it's like, okay, you can barely play notes over top of chords. There's the next level where it's like, okay, you can play quote unquote right notes, but you're not really hearing chord changes. Then you're to the point where like I can hear chord changes, but then after that, the gap is absolutely huge, right? It, it could really vary. Like you could be like playing really basic by the book jazz solos that sound like you're playing the changes and, you know, but your bebop language isn't as good, or you could be playing that, but you know, you're not able to innovate or improvise. So really there's just, that's why jazz is also very exciting to study is there is just so much to learn about it. There is so much there, but all that being said, when you go to improvise, it's such a vulnerable thing to do. It's really a kind of exposing yourself versus when you're playing a lot of other styles of music where everything is rehearsed and planned and composed. You know exactly what you're going to play. There's a lot more control in that environment. And so as a musician, when you lose control, it really opens up to 
fear and wounding your ego and all of these things, right? So I felt like that's when things really kind of became a little bit more severe for me, where I started noticing um, myself being around other musicians that were very good at playing jazz. And it was an, it stirred up a lot of anxiety for me because then it'd be my turn to take a solo. And remember, I've built up all this self-identity with being a good musician, right? Then all of a sudden I'm taking a solo and I'm realizing it's not as good as the other person who just took the solo, right? It's pretty obvious it's not as good, right? And when that is something that is of importance to you, that is a moment where you're going to feel performance anxiety, right? And and same with like just playing in front of an audience, forgetting about worrying about what your other peers think. When you're being vulnerable in front of an audience, you want to impress them. You want to sound good. You don't want to expose the wrong side of yourself in front of that audience, right? So it adds this extra layer of loss of control in front of performing in front of other people. So jazz is intense that way. So I started really noticing this, obviously, in high school when I started really getting into jazz, but then especially when I started going to college. And I think the the worst it ever was for me was my freshman year of college. I had moved to Seattle, so I moved to a big city. I, I grew up in um, Boise, Idaho, which for those of you know, it's a small, it is a city, but it's a small city. Um, and there is a music scene there, but it's a pretty small music scene. And I was playing an, a Monday night gig at one of the best restaurants in the city. Like, so it was a good gig. I had a Monday night gig there. I was playing other gigs there. Like, so I was, I, I don't want to call myself a top call musician cause I was, I was pretty young, but I was still playing some of the best gigs that were there right in the city. Suddenly you go to a, a city like Seattle, which not only is a much bigger city, but also has a very vibrant music scene, both of all genres, but certainly for jazz. It's a great jazz city. There's a lot of great jazz musicians in, in Seattle. And um, there's lots of gigs. There's lots of jazz jams. Particularly, there's one jazz jam called, um, it was this uh, place called the Owl and Thistle. And so any of you who are from Seattle will know what the Owl and Thistle is. It's like a bar. Uh, if I remember correctly, not, not too far away from the waterfront and, and, you know, so there's all the great musicians, you know, come that want to stay up really late, go there and, and play. Well, for me, I I only had been really studying jazz for, you know, one year solid, like very hard, but like two years really tops at that point where I was like really studying it. Right. And so I, I would get so nervous to play at this jazz jam session, especially because um, one of my friends who I immediately became friends with, we later moved to New York together, but I immediately became friends with this other guitar player who was definitely a little bit better than me. Like, I, I wouldn't say a bunch of notches better, but just one notch better than me. And he was a lot more confident in his playing than I was even though, again, it wasn't a huge significant difference in, in skill level, but he was very confident in himself. And so he would always bring me to the, we would always go to the jazz jam session together. And I would always just be like horribly anxious, not having any fun playing. And, you know, it's always hard to tell when you feel that anxious and you're playing you know, your solos and playing with the band. It's always hard to tell even how you're actually doing because your brain is just a... a 
it's just a whirlwind, right? And a lot of you probably have experienced that before. You you can't even think straight, so you don't actually know how it sounds. You just feel completely flustered. And then when you, you're done and you're you're going back to your seat after you're done playing a couple tunes, like you don't even know what happened, right? You, all you know is you didn't have any fun. And so I really that year of my life, I think that's where it hit me the most. And again, like I said, coming from a small city to a big city, I mean, I was going to music school for the first time. There was definitely, um, I, you know, there was a lot of musicians that definitely weren't as good at me at, at, at jazz and jazz improvisation, but there were a lot that were also very good. And right. And so that can be an intimidating nature environment for, um, someone to, to go into. And then fast forward, I moved the next year to New York City. So it's like if I wasn't in enough trouble uh, moving to Seattle from small small city Boise, Idaho, I decided to jump right into the biggest pond that there is as far as jazz goes, and that's New York City. So going there, certainly... Like I would, I would show up to some, like when I first got into the city, I remember like just the first month I would go and, you know, some of my friends would be like, Hey, but there's a, there's a, there's a jazz jam going on at this bar in Harlem. Okay. Let's all go. We take the train, we go, go to the, the place. And I wouldn't even dare get up onto the stage just simply because some of the musicians were a people I've been listening to their records <laughs> and B some of the musicians, um, who were even just like students at the new school for jazz contemporary music or Manhattan school of music were just so good that I was just terrified. Right. I mean, um, my head was scared of what would the other musicians think of me because my perception was I wasn't as good as them. And remember that's something that was instilled in me early on is an importance to my identity. I am a musician. I'm good at music. I'm natural at music. So, that can be very damaging, right? That can be setting myself up for for a horrible mindset when it comes to growth and learning and improving at playing music. And of course, I went on to play professionally and teach music professionally. And um, of course, now I have a thriving jazz education business, right? And all these things. So obviously, despite these things that I'm telling you, I went on and have had some success as a professional musician, as a jazz musician in general, and played many, 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 I mean, hundreds of gigs, right? So as the more gigs you play, especially with people that you play with often, the more comfortable you get. I'm thinking specifically of a duo gig. I, I played with a bass player for like five years, I think was how long that gig lasted. Um, and there was more like this, but this one that comes to mind. And, you know, after a while, if you have a bad gig or if you missed something or you didn't play something right or whatever, it actually doesn't really matter because you're just buddy, buddy anyways. There's this understanding of you're not trying to prove anything to that other person at this point. You, you guys both play well and you have a good time together and you're not worried about, you know, hell, did you play the right note or not? Or did you do this? Or was that the most inventive or cool solo you've ever taken or not? Those aren't really thoughts that come to your head. But then of course, where I would and and still can to this day suffer from per, some performance anxiety is when there's a band I've never played with or a musical environment I'm just not comfortable with, right? 
because there's still that there's a little bit of a confidence issue that still exists uh, within me where if I'm going to go play with these musicians I've never played with before, like maybe I've played with one of them and that's how I got the gig, but I don't know the other people. Well, suddenly I feel right automatically like, oh, I have to present myself in a way that shows I'm an amazing jazz player. And the problem becomes the definition of amazing jazz player. What does that even mean, right? Because amazing jazz player could be as amazing as Wes Montgomery or John Coltrane, or amazing could be like, sounds really good when he's playing solos and can play gigs, right? And get paid for it. So there's a huge gap. And the problem is there's no measurement to that. And so when you don't have a measurement to that in your brain, you're really setting yourself up for this failure when comparing yourself to other people, right? There was a particular gig uh, that I played for years at a jazz club in New York. And I would also get really anxious for this particular gig, even though a lot of the guys, I played this gig with them often, but it was only once a month and all of them were so good. And guess what? So was I, but these guys to me were just really good. And when you create this cycle of self-doubt for yourself, it really just doesn't stop. It doesn't matter if you become twice as good of a jazz player neck by the end of this year. If that is the frame of mind that you allow to stay and ingrain itself, then that is who you will always be. That's what I learned, right? So how did I over time start improving on this, right? Because I, like I mentioned at the beginning of this show, I have significantly less problem with this today. So the first thing is addressing the identity issue. And some of you might have this identity issue and others of you won't. Again, my situation might be very different, especially because I was pursuing music as a career. And the likelihood of you listening to this right now is that you're not, right? It is your hobby. So one thing that really helped me is when I started realizing that my life and the value of it just didn't depend on music. <laughs> and and that took a long time to start working out. And it's a continual process, right? When I started realizing all the other things in my life that just make me an exponentially valuable person, all the other things that I'm also very good at in life that are not music at all, right? Um, once I found identity in all of those other things as well, that really helped me. So I want just to throw that out to you. If, as you're listening to that side of my story and you're going, yeah, I can relate to throwing too much of my identity into how good of a musician I am, then that's the first thing is just to be aware of it, that that's what you're doing, right? Awareness is always the first, the first point that you have to deal with. And then for me, it's more about a long-term approach to putting more emphasis on the value of those other things that don't have to do with music. Um, sort of in a way, just slowly but surely changing my self-identity. Um, and that to me has been very helpful. So where I when I show up to a gig or, or, or whatever now when someone hires me, um, it's, I'm there, yes, in a, in a professional sense as I'm, I'm hired to be a musician, but ultimately it's not the end all be all for me. Right. Um, and that's publicly known to other people, like elements of my life that 
um, make me great, other people that work with me know me for those things as well, right? So that what that does is it, it doesn't it's reg- disregards whether you are an amazing musician or not. All it really does is it just helps you start to shift your focus and your perspective and take a bit of weight off of how good your performance is or not because ultimately you start realizing it doesn't matter as much to your life as you thought it did, right? So that's one thing. And um, of course, there's a lot of strategies to that. Obviously, the mindfulness um, part is is a really good start. Um, documenting evidence is also a great thing to do. Like evidence of when you played a great jazz solo is a really, really, really good idea. So often like in our inner circle membership, we record ourselves all the time. We record ourselves taking jazz solos. We record ourselves um, playing jazz standards, uh, doing exercises, whatever it happens to be. We're just recording ourselves and documenting it for everybody to see. And for ourselves mostly, because then we're looking back and we might be very proud of a jazz solo. So um, I'll tell you about one recently that I use as evidence of like, I'm a great musician is um, I was just creating some random uh, B-roll for a YouTube video that we came out with. So just some music in the background. And I re-listened to that solo And I was like, wow, that was a really good solo. Like, that sounded so good. Oh, by the way, I also haven't even been practicing that much lately. And that still sounded good, right? Um, So not only was that documenting evidence of like, taking away some anxiety of like, oops, I missed some practice. Now I'm going to go backwards. Well, no, I'm not because check that out. Look how great I still can play. I didn't lose anything, right? And then it's just another reminder of like, I am how great of a musician I am, right? So it's a good thing that was, that's something else that has helped me too, is when I'm doing great is just really paying attention to that first, right? Before I'm thinking about anything else, how great was it of something that I did, right? So it could be larger, like I had a great performance, like, wow, I had a great gig and I feel on cloud nine. That felt really good. Okay, evidence, that's that's large evidence right there that I can play a great jazz gig and I can feel good at this jazz gig and all that stuff. It could be more granular than that. It could be, I played a great solo, right, on this one tune. So clearly I can play great solos, right? I don't have to always worry about that. Um, but it could even be smaller than that. You listen back to a recording of yourself and you're going, look at these different parts that were really good. Um, that's part of, we did an episode several episodes back about bad jazz solos. That's an acronym B-A-D, B-A-D jazz solos. And, um, one of the steps is auditing your solo. And that's something a lot of my inner circle members are doing now. And the auditing, it really, it's pretty simple. It comes down to two questions. What did I love? And what did I not like? And the first question is, what do I love? Because we want to focus on those things first. But it's actually just really like, it shifts your perspective when you listen back to a recording of yourself or think about a performance you did. Because you're really just first noticing all the good things instead of the bad things. You're doing the opposite of what your instinct is telling you to do, which is, let's focus on the bad things that happened, right? So... It's, it's a real shift of perspective, especially in the context of when we talk about these audits that we do with our jazz recordings, we talk about when we're documenting the things that did really well for us, 
it's through the lens of these are things we want to double down on. In other words, we just need to age them like fine wine. It's in the barrel, but now it needs some time. And it's already good, just needs to improve, and it will improve. And it's a different way of thinking about it, right? It's a different way of thinking about a skill that you have. It's sort of like looking at it and going like, hey, there's a seed that's planted there and there's something sprouting out of it. That's going to continue to grow and get better, right? Rather than like, I don't see a, a sprout there. I don't see a sprout there. I don't see this or I have it. It's a totally different way of thinking about it. And so these are helpful. Another thing that really started helping me a lot is just simply putting myself more out there and not being afraid of it. Um, for me, it's really helpful to have this podcast and a YouTube channel and like a very public, um, you know, a very public view of who I am as a musician and obviously an educator, but certainly a musician as well, right? I have to play my instrument and, and, and perform for you guys sometimes. And so doing that over and over again, it starts to eliminate some of that fear that you have, right? Of what will other people think? Or, you know, do I need to play the perfect jazz solo here? No, absolutely not, right? Um, usually when I do solos for this podcast or, or YouTube or, or for my members, it's like one take, you know? Only two if I really screwed something up and it ruins the purpose of the educational <laughs> element of it, right? So that's one big thing that I started doing and a lot of my inner circle members are doing as well, which is they're recording themselves frequently frequently, and putting it out there. So in other words, recording yourself is simulating a performance environment, right? It's not performing, but if you notice when you press that record button, you do feel a little bit more anxious, a little bit more tense, right? You're worried about playing something good, especially if you know you're going to put it out for a public place for people to see it, um, which happens to be our, in the case of our inner circle, we, they put it in front of uh, our inner circle members, which by the way, is an incredibly supportive community of people that will not trash your playing will only uplift you. And so that makes it very helpful to have a supportive environment to experiment with this with, but recording yourself has really helped a lot of people to the point where when you record yourself a lot, you over time, not immediately, not overnight, but over time, you start not caring as much when you record yourself. It's no longer a big situation where you feel like a spotlight's on you. You don't worry about sharing a solo that's not perfect, right? Because that's not the point of being perfect. Because what is perfect? Again, you can't put a definition on an amazing jazz solo. Like an amazing jazz solo um, can have a huge, huge, huge spectrum of what that actually means, right? So simulating a performance environment definitely helped me. It definitely is helping a lot of my students in our inner circle. So that's something I would highly recommend that, that you start doing. Another thing that really helped me is just starting to acquire what's called a growth mindset. And I've talked about this a lot on this podcast, not recently, but certainly earlier on in this podcast, because I was very influenced by this book called Mindset by Carol Dweck. It's a pretty well-known book, but the main um, one of the main themes in it is this idea of the fixed mindset and the growth mindset. And so the fixed mindset is like, 
I'm only ever going to be so good at something or I'll never be as good as somebody else, right? It's basically these absolutes that you start telling yourself or you'll view, um, you'll often view things as a failure, right? Versus a learning experience. So you'll get lost in the song form at a jam session and you'll view that as a humiliating thing that, wow, I'm not a good musician, right? You'll go to absolutes or, um, well, uh, if that happened once, it could definitely happen again, right? Um, So it's very much so a mindset of taking things way too seriously for one, but it's also a mindset of limitations that really is not conducive to learning. Um, The growth mindset is, is basically the opposite of that. The growth mindset is basically like, look at what's possible, look at how I can improve, look at how I can grow and get better. So the same scenario would be like, okay, I got lost in the solo, but I noticed that when I like looked over at the, the, the bass player and like asked him where I, where we were, that even though it was humiliating in the moment, he told me where we were and I got back on track again. So at least now I know I have that tool, right? Um, or, Okay, great. So now I can look at the part that I got that I was getting stuck at or the reason I think I'm getting lost. And now I'm going to go back to the drawing board and improve on that just a percent or two, right? And the next time you do it, it's like you still got lost, but then you notice that even though you got lost, you by yourself were able to get back on. Okay, so that's the growth mindset is like, we're not looking at things as failures per se, and we're not putting a ton of weight on when something quote unquote goes wrong. It's more about how do we continuously move the needle or move closer to the the destination that we're trying to get to. And it's definitely more of a positive mindset for lack of a better term, right? And I think one thing to say about this is it's certainly, again, not an overnight thing. And again, I think it starts with mindfulness of how you want to look at situations. Um. And, and it's something that you start with one situation where you had a fixed mindset about something and you just ask yourself, what's the alternative way to think about this, right? Well, the alternative way to think about this is not that I can't play core changes at all. It's like I get the opportunity to figure out what that reason is. And then I spent one hour in the practice room trying to figure that out, which means I got a little bit closer to where I wanted to go, Right. So when you have this mindset in general, I find that, again, you put less importance on what other people think about your playing or being perfect in front of an audience. Another thing that helped me more so not necessarily comparing myself to peers as much, but more so with playing in front of an actively listening audience to me. What I started to realize over time is that most people do not know what's happening. Most people are are not educated about music. If you make a really big blunder, they'll probably notice it, but they'll probably also forget about it incredibly quickly, right? So most people will not notice unless you make a huge face. Like this is like the biggest mistake. You're performing and then you do something wrong while you're performing and then you just make a huge face like you're disgusted in yourself. Not only is that a horrible experience for the person watching, right? They now are seeing, they, they're, they're going to lose their enjoyment once they see that you're not having a good time. 
if you show them that you're having a great time the entire time, you could play a million wrong notes and they're probably going to just completely halfway, half, half miss it, probably completely miss it, honestly. So most people do not know, right? Most people do not know if you had a bad performance or not. Most people don't care for certain the how about as you do, right? They don't care that you accidentally flubbed the ending to that song, right? Um, so it's once you start understanding that a little bit more that the average person doesn't care or doesn't know, then it kind of takes a little bit of weight off. And it's really just more about you knowing, right? And then again, that's where the growth mindset kicks in. One other thing that helped me, and this is something that my older brother kind of taught me or instilled in me younger, uh, a lot uh, when I was a lot younger, but it really didn't start kicking into me understanding it very well until I was much older. And that was this idea of, of personal records. And so he used to be on the track and field team and, uh, you know, he was okay, but he's not the most athletic guy. Um, and so his big thing was just like, he did the long jump a lot. And so his big thing was like, can I beat my personal record of how far I can jump on this thing? And would he ever get first place or second place or get medals? I don't remember him doing that, but his main thing that he placed importance on was his own personal record. Right. And certainly my brother is a very different person than I am. Like that's not my natural state. My natural state is how do we take this thing to the next level? How do we improve more? Um, How do I get myself to be better? How do I get myself to compare to some of the best out there. Like I go to an extreme place in my head, but my brother doesn't do that. And so having someone like that as an influence was helpful for me. And so own personal record in music looks more like when you are going up to play, all you really care about is personally, if you are able to play better than you were the time before, even if it's just Again, when we talk about the long jump, for example, right? If everybody understands what that track and field event is, it's where you're, you run and then you jump and see how far you can get in a big sand pit. That's what the event is. And when you're beating your personal records on that, you are not beating them by long shots. You're beating them by centimeters, by, um, you know, very, very small, very small margins, right? Um, and so it's the same with your playing too. It's like, I was able to feel a little bit better about my soul this time. I was able to navigate these chord changes just a little bit better. And when you think about it more that way, it's not about like, am I as good as this other person? Um, it's it, it's more just like, am I a little bit better than than where I was before? Because ultimately, that is the best mindset for improving long-term as a musician and having the most amount of fun. So... My question for you is, are some of these things that I talked about, are some of these things, things that you can start implementing today, right? And part of it is diagnosing where you're at today. I hopefully in my story and my spectrum of where I've been with this, you can see yourself and me in a few different places. Um, But there are tools. There are tools to start attacking this element and especially just the general realization that music needs to be fun. If it's not fun, you're going to lose motivation. If it's not fun, you're going to quit and you're not going to reach your goals, right? You're not going to, um, and why do we want to reach our goals as jazz players? Because we obviously 
have heard what a great jazz solo sounds like or a great you know performance sounds like and we imagine ourselves doing the same thing right we want to do the same thing or for a lot of us we've experienced a great performance before right we have evidence of a great performance and it's it's an amazing feeling when you play really well and everything feels natural and easy it's just one of the best feelings really and we're all basically trying to get that again, right? We're trying to get that dopamine hit again. And so we're trying, we, we need to be working on having the most fun as possible. So if we're spending an inordinate amount of time worrying about how good we sound to other people or how our musical peers think of our playing, then it can be really damaging. So Hopefully some of this helped. I've come such a long way in this and I think it's a never ending journey. I mean, even like jazz players that I admired and studied with, I remember seeing one of my favorite musicians of all time at a gig and I think he was, he was playing a solo gig and he just was having a horrible day. He didn't sound bad, but he literally in front of a, a live audience at a jazz club was sort of like slightly berating himself. Right. And like, clearly he was wearing it on his face that he was unhappy and, you know, it, it, it showed that he, and you know, you could sense even with this world-class musician that he had a bit of a performance anxiety thing where he was worrying about, how good he sounded in front of this audience, right? So it doesn't ever leave. It just gets better. And so that's where I've come from with this. And hopefully you can start working towards that as well. All right, that's all for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. Hope you found this helpful today. Hope you take action on today's episode. And like I said, if you want to have a supportive community of others to share your progress, to practice playing in front of other people where you absolutely are not going to feel like there's any worry about what other people will think about you in the sense of they're going to berate you or they're going to... Um, give you a hard time or that they're going to put you down. Like none of that ever, I've never seen that happen in our inner circle membership. Our inner circle membership is a community of over a thousand eight hundred and counting musicians playing all sorts of instruments who literally are all just trying to learn together. Their only common goal is to improve as a jazz musician and improve their musicianship in general. And so really everybody is just only interested in helping each other. And that's a great environment to be in, especially if you're looking for a test zone for when you're going to play in public jam sessions and things like this, other environments where you might have less control. So if that's of interest to you, check out the link in the description of the podcast show notes, wherever you're listening to this podcast, or go to lgsinnercircle.com. We'd love to have you join us as a member. All right, my friends, we'll see you in another episode of the podcast coming out next week. Until then, happy practicing and cheers. Thanks for listening to the LJS Podcast, brought to you by LearnJazzStandards.com. Subscribe to the series on iTunes, and don't forget to join our jazz community at LearnJazzStandards.com forward slash newsletter.
Hey, podcast listener, would you like to ask me a jazz question and get it answered here on the show? Then go to learnjazzstandards.com forward slash ask. That's learnjazzstandards.com forward slash ask. I look forward to hearing your question and answering it on a future podcast episode. Learnjazzstandards.com forward slash ask or find the link in today's show notes.